The following is a Claves Online production. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Claves Online. I have been waiting so long for this day. Well, there's one more day I'm waiting on, and that's tomorrow. But hockey is back. That's right. Hockey is back. The pause button is about to be released, and we're going to get back to playing hockey. And I thought it would be a great opportunity for us to talk a little hockey today with some of my esteemed colleagues, guys who have done this for a while, guys who understand this game, and guys who have been – well, I have one big question for them, and we'll get to that in just a bit. But guys who really – you're going to enjoy this next uh, next hour or so. We may not go that long, but in any event, we're going to have a lot of fun. With us today is Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. You remember him also not only with The Athletic, but did a fine job covering the St. Louis Blues for a number of years, but he does an outstanding job with The Athletic. JR, it's nice to see you again. Real good to be here, Claves. I've got a lot of things to talk to you about for sure. Also joining us is Alex Ferrario. He is with the St. Louis Blues Radio Network. Alex, formerly with CamoX, now with ESPN in St. Louis. He's joined us as well. He's involved with the broadcast for the St. Louis Blues. Alex, man, it's great to see you again. It's been a while, and I'm shocked your beard isn't down to your uh, – well, anyway, I'm a little surprised that you, you've tightened it up. I had to tighten it up. I couldn't look too much like Grizzly Adams before the playoffs started. I had to make it look like I made some type of effort. But well, you could have been a playoff beer. It could have been a playoff beer. That's what it is. Hey, by the end of this postseason, it's going to look great. Sounds good to me. All right. Last but not least, our good friend, former, former National Hockey League goalie. You can watch him as an analyst on the NHL Network. Kevin Weeks joins us. Weeksy, how are you, man? Claves, I'm great, fellas. Jeremy and Alex. Everything is great here in Jersey, just outside New York City. And just blessed to be with you guys, man. Claves, thanks for having me. Looking well, forward no, to it. Well, it's always a pleasure. You always brighten up our day, and we're looking forward to talking some hockey. So my first question, I'll go around the board here, and I've asked mm. this question in a few other podcasts. Since COVID has arrived, how many of you guys are at your regular season playing weight? I'll start with you, Jeremy. <laughs> You know the answer to that one, Mike. Uh, I had to start with a trainer on Monday. I finally, Claves, I finally said, I'm giving myself to you. Do what you do here. So uh, I don't think I've had a uh, French fry in a couple days, which is probably pretty good for me. And uh, I actually just got back from the track. So I am not at my playing weight. All right, Alex, what about you? This might upset Jeremy, but I don't think I've uh, ever gone past my playing weight. It usually just stays around the same area. For me, I thought all the time in front of Netflix and food throughout that pandemic was going to kill me, but uh, apparently my metabolism is still in good shape. So I am right at that playing shape, Klebs. Weeksy? I, I float within two to three. I'm about two to three pounds uh, over right now, which should be, we'll get that in probably about the next 48 hours. I'll be dialed back in. Well, you know, when, when you're wearing those custom fitted suits, man, you know, there's not a lot of room for error. So let's make exactly. sure. Exactly. Exactly. This is it. This is it. So <laughs> true. So true. All right, fellas. <laughs> with, with the pause button about to be released, yeah. is there a team that's going to have an advantage here when we come back? Because uh, everybody can say we've got all our injured players back. But are, we're going to have some teams that are going to have a decided advantage because everybody's going to be healthy. We don't know how good a shape they really are in because they've had one exhibition game. And as we all know, in the NHL, when training camp starts, we, we do boards, we do a few line drills, and then next thing you know, we're playing games. So does any team really have an advantage here going into this thing at this time of the year? Alex? You know, I've 
really wondered this as well. You know, originally I sit there and thought that there's no way that somebody has an advantage because everyone's had that time off. You're back to full health and you're going into this bubble and you'd think like an Edmonton or a Toronto would have the advantage because they're in their home cities, but they're living this bubble life as well. But, you know, talking with uh, with a couple different people, you know, something that really opened my eyes to an advantage in this is living this bubble life. You know, when you think about what these players are doing of, of locked in a hotel room for potentially two, three months, it's video games, it's food, it's sleep, and it's hockey. Now, some teams that have a lot of veterans, that might be rough because they're thinking of their families at home, missing their kids, missing their wives. But a lot of those younger teams that just have a bunch of kids, I wonder if they have an advantage because this is normal life for them, right? Hockey, video games, sleep, food. So that's the only advantage I can see of people that can acclimate or teams that can acclimate to this bubble life faster. But other than that, I'm not sure if there's an advantage in the play. Kevin, what do you think? Because this is new to everybody. Uh, but I got to think that somebody might have a slight advantage, and I think it's all about being motivated as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'd start off with you know teams like the Blues, the Bruins, Pittsburgh, and Washington, because those teams have played a lot of hockey. And, and they have played a lot of hockey, but they've also all won cups. And one of the things about winning is when you have players that have won and experienced players that have won, you know, and that have played internationally, you know, that's invaluable. So to have Ovi, to have Nicholas Backstrom, to have Crosby, Malkin, Chris Letang, uh, you know, in the case of the Blues, you have everybody healthy, Tarasenko's back. You have that wisdom that you have from Petrangelo on the back end. Jordan Binnington's healthy. He's a year wiser. Um, you can lean on a lot of those players in that experience. And the same thing for the Boston Bruins. You have Chara, who's healthy, who's an older player, still in great physical shape. Patrice Bergeron, their ace down the middle, he's able to be healthy. And, and my point with that, with those four teams specifically, is those guys are winners. There's a lot of Hall of Famers in their group, and they're not getting any younger either. And they recognize this opportunity. So that's why I have my eyes set on those four teams specifically for those reasons. And I feel like it's advantageous to them. Jeremy, Kevin makes a great point about guys with mileage. Uh, a lot of guys get worn down, but now that they're fresh and they understand what it's like to be on the road, those teams Kevin just mentioned, I think, have a little bit of an advantage compared to the young guys who are just glad to be there right now. I like both of their points uh, by Alex and by Kevin. Uh, what I would add uh, to that is that you looked at uh, how things were shaping up and you had the St. Louis Blues and the Boston Bruins, let's throw in Washington and Tampa, you know, playing good hockey. I think they were at the point, guys, where they were starting to find their groove and use that experience that Kevin talked about. And they were going to, you don't want to say have their way in the playoffs, but start doing what they do. And I think this reset uh, you're talking about who has the advantage. Maybe some of the teams below them where now they've had a chance to to catch their breath and maybe the Blues and the Bruins don't have the momentum that they did have going back in March. I think some of those teams, you know, some of those fifth, sixth seeds be able to handle their play-in game and then take on one of these uh, better teams. I really do think that it bodes well for them. And this could be a little bit of a disadvantage for teams like the Blues who did have that momentum going back in March. Let's talk about the bubble for a minute. Um, an ingenious idea that came up with. Um, and I know there's been a lot of back and forth about being isolated and the security 
But the NHL, I think, has done an incredible job leading up to tomorrow, getting everybody on the same page, nobody testing positive, uh, trying to make it as homely as they can. And I know some teams have gone one step further trying to make sure players don't disconnect from their families. Who gets the credit for this, Kevin? Because this is something that everybody had to buy into, but somebody had to roll the idea out there and say, what do you think? Yeah, that's a great question, Claves, because there's a lot of people that can take credit. I'll start with Commissioner Bettman, uh, Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly. Uh, and right from the outset, they said, hey, listen, these are different times, so we have to be open to doing things differently. We have to be flexible. Everything isn't perfect. And with that, that comes an open-mindedness to being a little bit more creative, as we were talking about off-camera. Also have to credit uh, Donald Fair, but really – not as not as much the executive leadership per se at the NHLPA, but for some of the leaders, players that they have at the NHLPA that step forward, that were a part of that return to play committee. And for them to be open-minded, for them to be innovative, for them to to really think about a lot of the needs and wants of the players and, and almost really curate this to the players. Uh, and by that, I mean literally down to uh, having – league branded hand sanitizer, wipes, um, you know, family pictures of family members and loved ones in, in, in everybody's room, everybody's hotel room, having lounges for players to hang, to be able to spend time, be it play ping pong, be it at BMO Field in Toronto, for example, the home of FC Toronto and the MLS, to be able to play kickball, spike ball, have different recreational activities. And of course, a lot of these guys are gamers, as you just talked about, Alex. So having gaming lounges for these guys and areas to chill and play pool. So all that was taken into account in addition to all the health and safety elements. Fellas, I'll kick it over to you, but there was literally no stone unturned from every player that I've spoken to so far. Well, the only thing they were short on, they didn't have a good chicken wing place that somebody got a pretty good setup going. Uh, Oh, Lou Williams. Oh, oh man. <laughs> Jeremy, in, in that situation, you know, obviously NHL was very security conscious. Uh, they tried to make every accommodation they could. If there's going to be a leak in this in this boat, where would it come from? Well, I think that it would have come from the younger players, and I think it would have come uh, during the training camp phase, and we just didn't see that, Mike. I, I think a lot of people were questioning the discipline of some of these players, and uh, the players that I spoke to with the St. Louis Blues, they said, hey, look, uh, the veterans, they said, we told these guys how important this is, and we feel like everybody's on the same page. And, you know, you want to believe them, but you think, yeah, you know, these guys like to hang out and have fun too. But to see the two weeks that these teams were in training camp, that you had had two positive tests the, the first week and zero the second week is just absolutely phenomenal. Everybody deserves credit from the veterans, you know, laying down the law to, to the younger players listening to the league, organizing this whole thing. It's, it's amazing that they were able to get to the bubble uh, as clean as they were. Alex, you know, getting to the bubble, staying in the bubble. Uh, the one thing I remind people of, everybody's not going to be there the entire time. We're going to have some teams going home a lot sooner. So when it all comes down to it, maybe the league will be able to expand this a little bit more when we get down maybe to the conference finals because they will understand security-wise on what it's going to take. Maybe that's a time where families can come if they're quarantined in time where they can go in. Is that something you're hearing about? 
Yeah, and I think that's what the NHL originally stated, that once you start to weed out some of these teams when you get into the 16-team formats and when you drop down to the conference finals, you know, you're talking about having four teams and then essentially two teams. And I think from what I remember them talking about, the conference finals were, were the area that they've talked about of when you get to this, this would be the opportunity for these teams to have their wives, their girlfriends, their kids. I believe Maybe. it's yeah, maybe both if you can find a way to to put them in different rooms. But I think that's their moment, they said, to where they're able to bring in close family members uh, to this bubble so that they can have that support system. Because, of course, the NHL knows um, that two to three months is a long period of time for these guys to be away from their, from their family, especially the ones that have younger kids like a lot of the St. Louis Blues players do. He's Alex Ferrario. Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic is with us, and along with Kevin Weeks. We're going to take first our first break. Stand by. We're going to come back and talk about the East and Western Conferences. We'll be back after this. Jimmy, what are you doing? Hey, Danny, I'm celebrating. Baseball's back, and mortgage rates are in the twos. That means you have to go to Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. From early mornings to late nights, behind the scenes, and on the front lines. Your neighbors are busy creating a better tomorrow. And we're accelerating progress. From upgrading natural gas mains in Quincy to expanding substation capacity in Mount Vernon, reliable power communities can depend on. Ameren, Illinois, energy at work. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking hockey. I'm Mike Claiborne. This is ClavesOnline.com, as you well know, brought to you by our good friends from the home old ex expert, Ryan Kelly, also our good friends from Munganas, Toyota in Alton, Illinois, and where else could we be? It's powered by Ameren, Illinois, and we thank them for being part of it, as well as we thank Kevin Weeks from the National Hockey League Network, also Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic, and of course, Alex Ferrario from ESPN 100 here in St. Louis, and they also cover the St. Louis Blues. Gentlemen, let's talk about the conferences. We'll start in the Eastern Conference. Uh, that's going to be spirited much like the Western Conference. I mean, you've got Boston, you've got Washington, you've got Tampa Bay. Uh, Kevin, give me another team that we should be paying attention to in that conference that maybe doesn't get a lot of talk because these other teams I just mentioned either had the record or they've had the experience. So give me somebody else we need to be paying attention to. I can make a case for about three of those teams, but one specifically this year is the Philadelphia Flyers. And hmm. the Philadelphia Flyers this year – are exactly what the Carolina Hurricanes were last year, the disruptor in the Eastern Conference. The Flyers have turned this thing around. They Somehow they've been able to engineer a U-turn on an aircraft carrier and a very tight one, and that doesn't happen very easily. And I got to give them a lot of credit. They've had a great offseason. I thought bringing in Kevin Hayes was brilliant. I had a chance to watch him a lot up close when he was with the Rangers and going to games at Madison Square Garden and getting to know him. He grew as a Ranger. He became a, a really good player for them. Uh, brokenhearted when he was traded to Winnipeg, but he's got a new lease on life in uh, in Philly. He's really embraced that. And now they're stronger down the middle. Keep an eye on, on Provorov, their young defenseman, their young stud Russian defenseman who's awesome, by the way. Uh, and up front, they've got a lot more depth. And they're not only dependent upon their captain, Claude Giroux, who's still a very good player and an all-star, but they're not only dependent on him and Voracek. They're getting scoring. Travis Konechny, I might actually say, might be their most consistent player this year. And lastly, just down the turnpike from us uh, here in Jersey, down to Philly, if you're tuned in, you're a Flyers fan, you're not complaining about goaltending anymore. 
That's no that you can't even go to that because you got a stud in Carter Hart that's 20 years old. I spoke to him last night. And uh the the great veteran that you guys know there in St. Louis, Brian Elliott. So all things being equal, I think they're a team that can disrupt in the East. You know, I like the goaltending tandem. You got the kid. But Brian Elliott was a stud here in the time he was here. Unfortunately, they couldn't keep him. And he kind of bounced around a little bit after mm -hmm. that. He really found a home there. He's getting He was getting just enough games, but also he's mentoring a kid as well. Now, granted, they're a little bit different in size, but you know, I always felt, um, Alex, and, and certainly uh, Jeremy, that when, when Elliott was here, he was a real calming force for this hockey club. And I, it seems like he's doing the same thing in Philadelphia. Yeah, he really is, Mike. I still go back to when Brian Elliott came to St. Louis. It was on a two-way contract, a two-way contract. And shortly after that, he's winning the Jennings Trophy with Yaroslav Halak. And a year or two after that, he leads the league in save percentage and goals against by himself uh, on his own. So what a tremendous story he was here in St. Louis. Obviously, he rejuvenated his career, and now he's a good uh, backbone Carter Hart there and I agree with Kevin uh, that's uh, my dark horse as well in the Eastern Conference he, he rattled off a list of uh, good names um, and, and you throw in Sean Couturier the Selkie finalist uh, he's had a terrific year uh, Elaine Vigneault goes to Philly and really gets the job done and uh, don't forget who else is on that staff a guy named Mike Yo <laughs> left St. Louis <laughs> so uh, quite a story there in Philadelphia you yeah know, we talk about the uh, there's also teams that are going to try and make a statement that they're not far away. And, and you know, I look at that Buffalo Sabres for, for an example, they've got a lot of young talent. They got off to a good start, hit the wall. They made a lot of changes since we shut this thing down. Uh, but yeah. I think that's a team that may look to make a statement if they can keep all these young guys on the same page motivation wise. Yeah, there's a lot of teams like that, Claves. I mean, Buffalo is definitely a great example of one of those. Another one are the, the New York Islanders, who have statistically the oldest team in the NHL, but you got a lot of young guys who are kind of coming up like a Matt Barzell, who are just learning more and more about the league. Uh, I'll add one team, and I hear Kevin and JR's thoughts on this as well in the East. Toronto is one that really intrigues me, guys. And, and Kevin, uh, you're born from Toronto. You know hockey in Toronto, it is a media frenzy when it comes to covering that hockey team. Like there's media outlets 24 seven around those teams, around those players. All I can think about though, are our team with so much pressure on them, like the Toronto Maple Leafs that can't get past the Boston Bruins in the playoffs. But now they don't have that media pressure on them. Now they don't have those cameras in the locker room. The reporters asking the goaltender, well, what happened on that shot? They don't have that pressure. It's a bubble. And it's a team that has a lot of talented players in Austin Matthews and John Tavares and Mitch Marner. Toronto, to me, is a team that I think in terms of the Eastern Conference, they are a dark horse that I don't think anybody should sleep on. I couldn't agree more, man. You know, growing up there and, and seeing just the way the fans have been so patient with that franchise and their patience hasn't necessarily been rewarded, certainly not by way of winning. They haven't won a Stanley Cup since 67. But what's frustrating is that they've been celebrating a lot of cups that they haven't won. And, and the good thing about that, and that's not at the fault of this current group, but a lot of groups that have preceded them, uh, they've been celebrating a lot of cups. You know, I've been saying this. I, I'm, I'm a product of the system there in the city playing youth hockey. And there's a lot of free Porsches, free Bentleys, free Rolls, free Benzes, free Beamers for 
for everybody on the roster, sometimes two and three of them, without making a playoff run. Free suits, free meals, free everything. So your point, Alex, and I've been thinking about this, your point makes a lot of sense because as, as great as the fans and as passionate as they are, a lot of the fans that are in services and, and business operators, they can't get enough of these leaps. So for me, I call some of them sniffers. There's less sniffers that are around. They're insulated in that bubble. And for the players, they're not going to think that they've arrived because that's one of the challenges with that group over the years, not necessarily this group. But they're feted like they've already won. Not the case right now. And to your point, I think that it could be a big advantage for them. Same with the Vancouver Canucks for the same reason, mm -hmm. especially. And uh, and then the same thing for for the uh, the Winnipeg Jets even still. Hey, you know, I want to, you know, it's interesting, Alex, you bring up a very interesting point mm -hmm. about media coverage uh, and the lack of, and it's, it's even challenging for people who cover it on a regular basis like yourself as well, Jeremy. Uh, how much of an impact do you think that's going to have on guys who are used to that, that throng of people coming in and reading about this and reading about that? Uh, is it going to be less of a distraction where they can zero in on it? Or are you having a generation of guys who are starved for the attention that they get? And so now they go to social media and, and dig a hole for themselves that they won't be able to climb out of. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really interested by that. And, and I'm interested to hear what JR and Kevin has to say, because, of course, JR has been covering these guys a lot longer than I have. And Kevin's a former player. But, you know, just being around these guys in the last few years, I, I mean, you talk about routines for these players. The routine is to do a morning skate and then wait in your room and then have the conversation with these reporters. And hockey players are all about con con continuity, like doing the same thing over and over. I wonder if that takes them off their groove. They're still doing their their media preference or their media press conferences, but it's over Zoom. It's not talking and joking around with some of the reporters in the locker room. So I really wonder if that takes a lot of these guys off of their game. But then you think about the teams like Toronto that I mentioned, and then another one like the Edmonton Oilers with so much pressure on them at all times. Is that a sense of relief where they can go to play hockey, they can do their Zoom press conferences, and then they can eat and they can relax and enjoy themselves rather than that pressure that's always on them? Mike, having been a uh, longtime sniffer in this league <laughs> and going to these uh, locker rooms, I've never witnessed anything like I witnessed last year during this Blues uh, Stanley Cup run. I mean, we are just talking hundreds of media and uh, elbow to elbow inside the locker room. I've got to be honest with you. I would think that all 31 GMs would prefer to have it with the Zoom and no locker room access from now to the end of the league's life. Because, I mean, you have a situation now where you don't have an opportunity to stand at a guy's stall and, and find out what's truly going on with something or what an injury might actually be. And so, you know, they're, they're getting their FaceTime on the Zoom, they're getting their story out, but at the same time, they don't have to deal with the pressures that Kevin and Alex just talked about. So I think this is a perfect scenario for the league. And to get back to your uh, original question, you know, guys who – scroll social media they're going to do it whether there's a bubble or there's a not a bubble they're, they're they're just hooked to it they want to see what people are saying and writing fans and and media and so they're going to find their way to it uh, but i gotta believe that uh, not being in the locker room this is going to limit a lot of the interaction and maybe the attention seeking that uh, that they uh, go through weeksy with that said mm -hmm. and maybe this will turn the tide as far as how we cover sports 
there are players who crave that attention. There are players who, who need that from a motivation standpoint. How much is that going to change? You've been in enough dressing rooms in your life uh, because there are certain guys who shun away from it and there are other guys who look to pick a fight. And then you have another group that feels like it's their obligation to promote the sport and try and entertain their fans. So what do you think is going through the minds of some of these guys now as, as they look around and there's no sniffers? Yeah, exactly. I, you know what? I think now for a lot of those guys, um, to Jeremy's point, they're going to have to consume some of that online. And some of that but will be via, via social media right now, you know, to help fill that gap, so to speak, to offset not having that physical interaction per se, uh, but being able to do it in a way where, um, okay, no problem. I see what this writer's saying. All right, cool. I got you. Okay. You're saying we don't have a shot. I got you. And use it in a way that that's positive, of course, to help fuel their ambitions. But here's the thing, man. I go back to this too. I remember a young trainer that I had when I was – 13 years old, this guy, Joe Costa back home in Toronto. And he always said, he's like, listen, you can be stimulus motivated or you can be self-motivated. The problem with the stimulus motivated is those stimuli can change. The good thing about the self-motivated is you're always you and that you can control. And that's why I come back to having veterans in the room and having an Alex Petrangelo that can go over and talk to a young guy like Sammy Blake or having you know, Ovi, who can go and talk to uh, Kuznetsov or whatever the case may be, and having those guys that have been there, done that, and and have had so much success, Patrice Bergeron going and talking to Anders Bjork in Boston, as an example, and showing them, because a lot of this here is shepherding too. You know, we talk about a lot of the mentoring. There's going to be a lot more mentoring going on now than any other Stanley Cup playoff scenario because there's so many variables. Yeah, Like there's tons of that in the playoffs in general. But now with all the variables that you have, especially this being one of them, you're definitely going to see a lot of those guys uh, sometimes with velvet gloves. Sometimes they might have to clinch a guy a little bit, but you'll definitely see a lot more of that right now. And the team that can do that most effectively, I think will be the team that's sipping champagne the way the Blues did last year. Well, let me run this one by you because you talk, talk about motivation, um, coaching, more important now than ever before, because I, I've always found that hockey coaches have to have their finger on the pulse of the first three lines or first four lines and what they see and whether they need to shorten the bench, whether they need to juggle a little bit. So we already know about that. But they now have the, the responsibility of getting guys motivated because you don't want to overcoach them, but you right. better make sure that they're prepared. And here's the other element. Because of the way the tournament is set up, if your goalie doesn't look like he doesn't look like he has it early, do you do you give him the hook for it? Because you can't get down, you can't get far out of this thing too quick. So do you give him the hook quick and, and and then you have a chance of losing your number one goalie? Or do you respond to what your players are looking for and maybe go with your number two guy hoping to get a spark? I mean, I, I think coaching this time around has as big of an impact on this sport as I think we'll ever see. What do you think, Kevin? I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I think coaching right now, because now more than ever, you're, you're coaching the individual as much as you're coaching the player. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of things we've touched on, the individual now is even more important because of all the variables with the bubble scenario, right? So not being at home, not being able to, to see mom and dad, not being able to see your kids or 
take your dog for a walk. All these different human variables that that are in play. So a coach has to be able to pick up on that. If a player's body language looks a little bit down in practice, go skate up beside him. Hey, man, you doing good? How are you doing? You all right? Oh, man, my grandma has COVID. Okay, how's she doing? Like, There's so many different elements to this on the human piece that they're going to have to manage. That's just the human side, one-on-one, which is most important. And, but, and throw in the assistance and how important they're going exactly, to be. Exactly. Totally. Coach a lot of times. Absolutely. Yeah, they are, they are paramount. They are paramount to see a lot of those little things, pick up on some of those nuances in a body language or, um, you know, be conscious of maybe somebody's got a pregnant uh, spouse that's maybe in the last trimester. All these are different things that come into play. And I'll hand it over to you guys here. Hey, in these short series, I don't care who you are. If I got a viable, if my number two is awesome and he can go in there and kick, you ready? All right, man. That looks gonna be real, yo. That's gonna be real, real short. You watch and see. Quick, <laughs> quick. Guys will get the gong quickly because we're that's out of five. Like that's a game changer in in five game series for sure. You know what I mean? What do you think, Jeremy? Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, you guys touched on it, but I think the coaching is going to be different for obvious reasons. I mean, this is something like we've never seen before, but not only are you going to have to coach on the ice is Jordan Bennington getting the job done. Is he not? Do I need to go to Jake Allen or not? But what Craig Bruby has been successful with in his year and a half with the blues is having a pulse for the players. He knows what they're going through. He knows what they need. He knows what they want. And that's going to be even more needed now with them going through these uh, extenuating circumstances. So you touched on it. The assistant coaches, look at that staff, Steve Ott, Mike Van Ryan. These are young guys that played in the league and, and played relatively, you know, recently. I remember when Steve Ott became an assistant coach with the blues, I counted up the number. He was teammates with 19 out of 23 of the guys on the roster. That number has dwindled now, but it was at 19 at one point. What does Craig Berube do when he needs to find out, what's going on with the team, Steve Ott goes and sits down next to Alexander Steen in the locker room and says, what's going on? And he tells him. And Steve Ott goes back to Craig Bruby and tells him, they've got a great situation here in St. Louis, and I think now more than ever, uh, they're going to need to have a great pulse of the players. Alex, when you have a situation like this, and, and the Blues, I think, are the ideal situation where you didn't make a lot of changes in the offseason, <clears throat> you kept the band together for the most part, and when I look at Boston and I look at Washington and some other teams who are longer in the two, I, I think that th those coaches really have a decided advantage because they have a real finger of the pulse of these guys because they've been to war with them. They may not have won, although Washington has won. But those guys really understand what it takes, especially at this level. And with, and with the short hook, as Kevin brings up, that's something that they could probably weather better than maybe one of these younger teams who thinks they're ready to go. Yeah, and especially in the Blues case, guys, I mean, it's thinking back to those conversations last year that we heard from the players and the coaching staff, it was all about communication. Like the players truly appreciated when Craig Berube would pull them into the room and say, hey, look, this isn't going right right now. We're going to sit you down for a game, get your head right, you'll be back in. And then you saw success. Zach Stanford is a perfect example of that. Mm -hmm. So the teams that truly do feel like they have an advantage are those teams, guys, that didn't have a lot of layover in the off season or in the regular season that have the same rosters like a blues or a capitals or a Boston Bruins, but the coaching staff as well, because those players are comfortable enough to have 
the open conversations with their teammates or the coaches are to have with those players rather than what it was last year at the beginning of the season where Ryan O'Reilly didn't know if it was his place to talk or a Pat Maroon didn't. These guys are all open with each other. So I think when it comes down to the coaching staff and that advantage, I think all of you nailed it on the head because the fact that those guys and the coaches can communicate so openly with the players, the players respect that and they're willing to buy in immediately to what the coach is talking about. We'll wrap up the coaches segment here with this question to you, Kevin. Being in the, in the National Hockey League as a player, uh, mm -hmm. every coach has X amount of speeches in his pocket. Mm -hmm. We're in a situation now where we're in, in a full-fledged sprint. How important will those speeches be, and how important is it for those coaches who haven't used all their bullets when it comes to speeches to be able to prepare and maybe reconfigure something? Because some players need it. Other players just want to play and other players just look at each other and just wonder why do we need it? And yeah, okay, that's a great idea. So where do we go here on the motivation point with regard to those speeches? And I guess we all remember Craig Berube's final speech in game. <laughs> Everybody was excited. They to, as we say, I would have went out and played with him. Right. But as a player, there's only so many of those who really digest in a season. Be real. That's the key. Be mm -hmm. real. You have to be real and, and see, this is where guys love Chief. This is where guys love Rick Tockett down in Arizona because those guys play, but they're also cool in their boots. They're not trying to flex. And you got a lot of other guys at times that want to over flex. And guys are like, uh, like I played against me. I played against Greg Ruby, the Chief. I knew how tough he was. I played against Rick Tockett. I knew how tough Rick Tockett was. I played with Rod Brindamore. I knew how good of a player and I think a future Hall of Famer uh, he he will be. And in saying that, those guys are three of the most authentic guys, three former Philadelphia Flyers, I might add, earlier in their careers. But those guys are all authentic people. They're not walking around fake flex and diesel out. No, no, they treat guys properly. They And as tough as they are and as long as they've played and as hard as they are, they're great people. And the players respect that. So if and or when they have to turn the dial a little bit, the players are like, oh, cool. that's cool, man. That's cool. Because they don't go to it too often. Those guys are very discerning. If anything, they're softer spoken than you think they would be based on their playing persona, which I think has really served all three of them exceptionally well behind benches as head coaches. Well, when you look at the penalty minutes behind Barubi's name, you have to wonder, does he have one more knockout punch left? And you don't want to do on you. So I, I think, I think the one thing that's we're a little worried he had one more knockout punch in them after the series last season. That's so true. Hey fellas, let's take a break. We're come we're gonna come back and look at the Western Conference and certainly the St. Louis Blues and get some predictions when we come back after we take this time out. From early mornings. To late nights. Behind the scenes and on the front lines, your neighbors are busy creating a better tomorrow. And we're accelerating progress from upgrading natural gas mains in Quincy to expanding substation capacity in Mount Vernon, reliable power communities can depend on. Ameren, Illinois, energy at work. Jimmy, what are you doing? Hey, Danny, I'm celebrating. Baseball's back and mortgage rates are in the twos. That means you have to go to Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. 
Welcome back, everybody. We continue our hockey roundtable with Kevin Weeks of the NHL Network, Alex Ferrario of ESPN 101 here in St. Louis, and also Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. And, gentlemen, let's take a look at the Western Conference. When I think of the Western Conference, I not only think about it in the National Hockey League, I think about it as being maybe the deepest conference in all sports. Uh, the NBA can roll out some pretty good teams in their Western Conference. But when you look at this one, with the size, the youth, the speed, the physical, the physicality they can exude, and the coaching, this is going to be a, a last survivor here. I mean, there are going to be some people that's going to get knocked around pretty well. At least I think they will. Give me your thoughts on the four teams that you like, and give me a team on the outside looking in that can make it dangerous for anybody they play. I'll start off with you, uh, uh, Jeremy. Yeah, you look at these top four seeds, and these are uh, teams – that the Blues struggled with a little bit this season. So even though the Blues were atop the Western Conference with 94 points, they lost their last two games to Colorado during the regular season and gave up seven goals, five goals. Jordan Bennington, who everybody likes, got yanked from both of those games. So Colorado has given the Blues fits, and Nathan McKinnon is obviously going to be healthy. Who can forget the game in Vegas? Zach Sanford, four goals, and the Blues lose that one. So they've had trouble with Vegas. Uh, they have played well against Dallas. So you look at these top four seeds, I think that'll be interesting uh, as we watch the round robin. You look at some of those other teams. I do think there's going to be some upsets. You look at who's going to come out of that, that play-in round. Edmonton, uh, you know, they're not going to have an advantage playing at home because of the fans, uh, but they're still in their, in their home city, and they've got a couple outstanding players, as we all know. Uh, you look at uh, Arizona, they've got a situation with their uh, GM, but they've played some good hockey and uh, under Rick Tockett have owned, he must have some uh, secret uh, information there on how to beat Craig Berube. They've owned the Blues uh, under Rick Tockett. So uh, I think some of those teams, but I just think you're going to look at one of these play-in series and a team that you don't expect is going to get some momentum, win a series and give a challenge to somebody in the first round. Alex, who might that be? Well, boy, there's a couple that really make me concerned for, for a matchup against the St. Louis Blues. One of those is the Colorado Avalanche, and, I mean, JR kind of nailed it there, and rightfully so. They wrapped up the season second best in the Central Division. But I'll tell you two that really make me nervous. One are the Arizona Coyotes, like JR said, because even with the general manager situation that they're doing, those guys still play for Rick Tockett. They know how to go out for their head coach. But more importantly, I'm curious if Arizona is going to rally around a former Coyote himself of a Steve Sullivan. Like, I wonder if they rally around the general manager who takes over in such a really weird situation. The other one are the Nashville Predators. Guys, the only team that the Blues didn't beat last year were Nashville. And they played them three times, I think. I think that last one they didn't get the chance to play through. But Nashville Predators are a team that, yeah, they can go sideways. But if their offense clicks, they have a very strong defensive unit. And Pecorine just needs one game to be turned on, and he can steal a hockey game. So Nashville's another team that makes me a little concerned, at least from the St. Louis angle. Kevin, you know, we've got some teams in that, that second tier, whether it's yeah. Edmonton or Calgary. I'll throw Vancouver in that mix. In a short series, they get a break or two, a bounce of a puck. All of a sudden, they start playing with a little bit more confidence. Which one of those uh, out of that group do you feel might be best suited to really create the upset? Well, they're going to be messed up against each other in that tier, and it's Edmonton and Chicago, really. And, you know, and I'll start with Edmonton. Um, I, that team is is much deeper than they had been 
I had some great talks with Wayne Gretzky about it, uh, specifically when they were here playing at Madison Square Garden against the Rangers. He's like, Weeksy, do you see our team? You see our team, Weeksy? Look at our team. This is a team that we have now. We've got a team. We don't just have superstars anymore. And, you know, they've done an outstanding job of really filling that roster, filling support pieces. They bring in uh, Mike Smith, who they know very well because he played for Dave Tippett in Dallas when he first came in the league. Same thing with that that trade and bring in James Neal. Same thing. He played with them in Dallas as well. There's a familiarity there. A veteran guy that almost got 20 goals this year and had a nice bounce-back season. But the youngster, Kaylor Yamamoto, coming up, their first-round pick from two years ago, who's really solidified that second line alongside Dreisaitl, who is going to be the league MVP. If not him, it'll be Artemi Panarin here with the Rangers. But also, if you look at the Oilers in general, the blue line is actually deep. For This is my 11th year in TV. That's always been their sore spot, their Achilles heel. Yeah. And it isn't anymore. It's a position of strength to the point to where they now have a youngster, Broberg, that young defenseman who's the young Swede who's up with them now. All that to say, best power play in the league, one of the top five penalty kills in the league, so special teams are money. But listen, I just painted that Picasso for you. <laughs> now I'm going to pull out a little bit of charcoal on the easel for a little sketch. <laughs> Don't count out the Chicago Blackhawks now. Yeah. It's hard to bet against superheroes, and they have several of them, led by Patrick Kane, who will go down as the best American-born player in league history, and Taze, and a healthy Duncan Keith on the backhand, and Corey Crawford, who's won more games in the playoffs, Stanley Cup playoffs, than any goalie in Chicago Blackhawks franchise history. So that's what makes that matchup so intriguing. But I think the winner of that matchup might be able to give another team fits once they get in. Speaking of fit, um, you know, one of the things about this series or the, the West, they're all big. They can all skate, especially mm-hmm. Colorado. I think we've all talked about them. Oh, yeah. How important is it going to be to have a physical presence? And when you look at the St. Louis Blues who play that heavy game, make you stop, make you start, they lean on you quite a bit. Uh, will that same style work for all these teams they're going to face who are all well-rested and maybe better skaters than the St. Louis Blues? So, Kevin, what do you think? Will a physical presence have an impact? And then I'll get to the point where, you know, there's one thing about physical presence, about playing the body. But are we going to see anybody drop the mitts and, and maybe make an example out of somebody, let them know we're not going to get pushed around? I think that that's the blue strength. The blue strength is their strength. And the Blues are the LA Kings 2.0 and the Kings were winning their cups, to be honest. It's a carbon copy to me. Um, I, I love the Blues' willingness to defend and defend hard in front of their net. They play with edge. They play with some bite. They're strong on the boards. They win puck battles, 50-50 back, uh, puck battles. And, you know, they don't sacrifice those hard areas of the game that are a little more unsavory, that are a little more blue-collar. They embrace them. They embrace those areas of the game. And quite frankly, when they do that and when they're on their A game, they're forcing the opposing teams to play a game they don't want to play. Yeah. Like, <laughs> listen, everybody wants to get up and go. You know, especially now with this league this young and this skilled and dynamic, not everybody wants to have to skate through two or three bodies to get in on a four check. Not everybody wants to go back as the D against the four check and get run into the glass and take a hit and make a play. And here's another thing for the St. Louis Blues, and nobody's talked about it. I know you guys cover them as well as you do. Here's the one thing, too, for me with the Blues. Not only are they playing to repeat as Stanley Cup champions, but I'm getting goosebumps about it 
they're also playing for J-Bo. Good point. They're playing for J-Bo Meester. And you got to know that chief and that whole staff said, fellas, you know, coronavirus, racial and social injustice, racial inequality for us, black people and people of color. Um, there's a lot of different things. Stanley Cup, repeat, but J-Bo, our guy, we're playing for him. We're playing for him. He's one of us. And you have to know that that's, that's a big part of their motivation. Alex, one of the things about the Cardinals Blues team is that they are deep. Uh, they don't have a they don't have a shortcoming when it comes to talent. Now they may be young in some areas, but this is a team that, because they play in an unselfish manner, is the reason why they won the Stanley Cup. What player do you see from the Blues, or certainly let's go along with some other teams as well? Are there any other players that you're paying closer attention to that are going to be difference makers? You know, for the Blues, um, everyone talks Vladimir Tarasenko, and rightfully so. I mean, look, when, when you when you haven't played since October 24th and you're, and you're bench pressing or you're deadlifting your wife on Instagram, you know he wants hockey back. But um, the, one, the one that I think people talk a lot about is for the St. Louis Blues is Oscar Stunquist. I mean, yeah. you talk about a guy who was so effective in that Stanley Cup final last year that when they got demolished, was the game that he wasn't playing in. Like, that goes to show you how effective this guy truly is. He does everything. He's a penalty killer. He can be on the power play if Craig Berube needs him. He's putting him out there in the last minutes. No, by the way, an Oscar Sundquist is at 100% health because he was dealing with some ailments throughout the regular season. So, in terms of the Blues, Oscar Sundquist sticks out to me. But there's a couple guys um, that, that, that really maybe fly under the radar could have a big series. One of those is uh, Nazem Kadri for mm -hmm. the Colorado Avalanche. He was he was effective this season when they brought him to Colorado. He was kind of that that feistiness, that nail in the rear end that Colorado really didn't have. So to have Nazem Kadri there to add to the depth of the Colorado Avalanche to kind of be a thorn in the side for the opponents, he's somebody that I think would fly under the radar for a lot of teams and cause some troubles in the central division and the Western conference. Once these tournaments start up, Jeremy, um, I'm wondering, I, as I said, with the short series, will we have some guys that, that will drop the gloves and go? I mean, I know everybody thinks Kachuk and, and uh, Cassian might want to do it, but I mean, they, they can always use the excuse of it's the playoffs. I can't take a penalty, but if <laughs> Will you see a team that feels like this is the best way we can get everybody's attention? Well, if any of these guys had to do their kids' Zoom classes and take them through a couple months of school and have the same pent-up frustration that I have, I think they will see some gloves drop uh, when the playoffs start. I know I'd like to drop them with somebody uh, pretty soon, but I, I, ju I just don't see it. I mean, you're going to have to... <laughs> I, I just don't see it, especially these playing rounds. It's it's five games. I mean, everything is going to matter. Uh, you fall down two nothing, you're in a hole. How are you going to pick your spot? Uh, I think teams like the Blues are just going to have to be strong on the forecheck, which we did not see in last night's exhibition game. And I'm going back a bit here, guys, uh, but uh, I'll make the point that the last year the Blues 
they used the body, they played physical, they were strong on the four check. And because it was the end of a nine month season, teams are already wore down. The San Jose Sharks, by the end of that series, they knocked Carlson out of there, Pavelski. Everybody was dinged up. I remember that game late in the series against the Sharks. What, they have about 13 guys on the bench at one point? So that's what's going to be different is, as you said, Mike, earlier, these guys, these teams are going to be rested. So the Blues might throw a punch. And they, they're used to the other guy, you know, backing off, throw two punches, throw three, you know, in terms of the forecheck. That's not going to work this time. I think these teams are going to be able to absorb that forecheck from the Blues, and they're just going to have to keep coming at them. But as far as the fisticuffs, you know, maybe here and there, but I don't see that being a big part of it. Damn. Damn. <laughs> I, I, think somebody. I, see, I see the longtime beloved former St. Louis Blue, Ryan Reeves. Yeah. I see Sheriff Reeves. Will be out there legislating and conducting his on ice security, as I like to say. <laughs> and by the way, that might be the best fourth line. That line and the Islanders' fourth line too. The Islanders' fourth line's money, but uh, when they're all healthy. But uh, that Re- that Reeves line is is money as well in uh, in Vegas, and I, I could see him just trying to to serve some notices out there and put people on notice for sure. As long as Ryan Reeves blows a kiss to somebody, I am <laughs> like just give me- uh, so good. You, you know, okay. here's the thing about Reeves in, in that fourth line you mentioned, Kevin, uh, and you and I have talked about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, their coach can crush them. They're yes. not going to take a bad penalty. They're good skaters, and they can they can score the occasional goal, and they can also draw a penalty as well. And the Blues we saw last year with their fourth line did the same thing, where they could draw a penalty and they could be trusted. Craig Berube could run them out there for 12 minutes a night if he needed to to make sure that he was giving other guys rest. And I think this year, fourth-line teams who, who who roll four are going to have a distinct advantage because of the fact that everybody will be rested and you don't have to double up a guy as much as you need to. And if you do need to, he's going to be able to take it at least maybe by the second round. That first round, there are going to be some guys that might still be gassed a little bit. Oh, I totally agree. I think that makes a huge difference, guys. If you get that, that fourth line, able to get on – and not only get on, get on and get in. Mm-hmm. zone, And then they just play keep away and cycle that puck and hem that opposing team into their D zone and, and work that cycle game, maybe get some chances down low, get some shots from the point with some traffic and disrupt. The good thing about that is, number one, they're generating ice time. You're getting possession, number two. But lastly, here's the thing. As you just pointed out, Clay, you're wearing down that, that other team. And one thing that we're going to look for here is some guys might be nicked up early too, you know, since this is a four-month pause. It might not all come out publicly, but some guys might be nicked up and early groin tweak, you know, hamstring tweak, all these little different things, core muscle tweak. And when you've got your fourth line that can go out there and, and generate play and dominate play and win chips, that changes everything for, for all the right reasons. No question. All right, boys, as we wrap things up, we're going to go around the horn here. Give me your final teams. Tell me why they're going to be there. And aside from an injury, what would be their Achilles heel? So I'll start off with you, Jeremy. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, Colorado is going to be tough to beat, but uh, I've done a couple predictions in, in the last week or so. And I like the St. Louis Blues. I do. And I haven't always been, quote, unquote, a homer in that regard. But I think this is a team that what they went through last year, worst to first, they know what needs to be done. 
and I think they can win the Western Conference. On the Eastern Conference side, I know there's a lot of talk about Boston and uh, Washington, but I'm going to go with Tampa Bay. We've witnessed in St. Louis firsthand how you need to be hardened as a team to, to get to the cup and to win a cup. And I think what they went through last year with the sweep and even uh, some ups and downs, some turmoil this season, I think that uh, team has been hardened a bit. So I like uh, St. Louis and Tampa. And uh, Mike, are you going to air this in St. Louis? Because I was going to go with Tampa as the uh, Stanley Cup. <laughs> got to keep it real. <laughs> And if they don't win, what would be the reason why? So my finalists, uh, I had St. Louis Blues as well. And like JR said, not to be a homer, but when you go through the projections, you go to a team that has been there before, a team that can go through the battles. The only way that I don't see St. Louis making it to that point is because of an injury. And, I mean, look, last night we saw two guys leave the ice. Luckily they came back, and Sammy Blay and Carl Gunnarsson, these guys have played a lot of hockey despite having four months off. So I had the St. Louis Blues going to the final. I had the Washington Capitals going to the final. I mean, they, to me, are a very dangerous team. When you think of the fact of them winning a Stanley Cup and then you know making it as far as they did last year, but then getting bounced and having that extra time to rest, yeah. they didn't do any turnover. I mean, they have the same roster put together, the same coaching staff. Um, you know, their goaltender's a free agent. So if you ever think Braden Holtby's going to play well, this is the free agent year. So to me, I have St. Louis and Washington in the Stanley Cup final, and I have St. Louis coming out on top because I think that extra push is going to come from the coaching staff. Great points, fellas. I'll end on this. I'd say uh, in the East, I've got Washington for all those reasons. Also stylistically, Washington, not dissimilar to St. Louis, plays a power game. And my guy that I'm scouring the world for, if I ever run an NHL team, is the next Tom Wilson, even diet Tom Wilson, even low-calorie Tom Wilson. He is the X factor. I love Tom Wilson playing with Ovi, Mr. Wilson. Guys see him coming on the ice, and they change. And so effective. He showed it last night again. And his, he's way more skilled than people know. Skates better, sees the game. There's a reason why Obi wants to play with him, by the way, and uh, and why they play together. So uh, all things being equal, Washington plays with jam, too. They're not a soft team. So stylistically, I think them and the Blues are very similar in that respect. The one thing I would say for Washington is I'm going to keep an eye on John Carlson. They said he was out yesterday. It was a little precautionary. I had some chats with their coaching staff, and uh, – you know, they're, they're very happy with where their team's at right now. The Blues, for obvious reason, I got the Blues winning the Stanley Cup. I do. I said that long before we got on the call. Provided everybody's healthy, one Achilles heel for me for the Blues would be scoring and timely scoring. Are things a little bit disrupted with Tarasenko being back? They shouldn't be. He's great. He's a great player. But all that to say, I got the Blues winning. But let me just put a little butt in here, a little one. Clave, since you're rocking that beautiful, fresh, um, freshly squeezed <laughs> juice, orange that you're rocking right now, the flyer, don't be surprised. I'm just giving you a don't be surprised if. I gave you my team. We've all given our teams. But don't be surprised if the Philadelphia Flyers don't make some noise in the Eastern Conference as well. You know, I'm on the same page as you guys. I, I love Washington for what they represent. And, Weeksy, I couldn't agree with you more. It's amazing when you look at the great players of this game, they've always had a guy 
they could ride shotgun. Now, maybe if it was McSorley and Edmonton, Mario right. didn't really have one. And Kevin Stevens, to a point, mm -hmm. you know, when you look back, when you've got a guy like Wilson, who doesn't even have to fight that much, but everybody knows he's willing, and he is a good player. He's a better scale totally. than people get credit for. I like the way they're put together, and Barry Trotz is a, is a very, very good coach. Uh, with the St. Louis Blues, I agree with the, the scoring issue, which I always thought was an issue. But, you know, the Blues would say, well, we have balanced scoring. But right. there's a time in a game you're going to need somebody to go out and get one. Totally. And concern, well, if the Blues have a guy that can go out and get one and quit making the extra pass, keep the puck. You know, yep. and that's one of the problems I think the Blues, I thought they had last night. They they made too many cute passes. Go to the net, go hard. You're big, you're strong. You can get a deflection. You've got a guy like Ryan O'Reilly who doesn't have a problem getting in the jam. Shen is the same way. They've got to be able to crash in that and do some things on that end in order to generate more scoring opportunities because you can't score from the perimeter in this game like you used to. So I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I'll tell you this, with the way the TV production is going to work, Kevin, and you talked a little bit about that earlier, this is an incredible opportunity for the National Hockey League to garner a new generation of fans with Big the technology that they're going to throw up on the board. And maybe baseball, maybe the NBA, certainly the NFL should all take heed of what the National Hockey League is doing and what they're going to do because this could be the way of the future. Unquestionably so. I think it, it's coming at a critical time. Uh, you know, we're at this confluence between uh, tech and social media, and, and really we're in a transmedia world. And that fluency, especially with a lot of the younger viewers, as you guys pointed out earlier, you know, a lot of the younger viewers are so fluent in all these different platforms. So if you can find ways, and if we can continue to find ways to engage, because we want to find ways to engage our fans. Our fans can't get enough. If you had the blues... I don't know, playing street hockey at Enterprise Arena there in St. Louis on the parking lot, fans would be down there watching them. If you had them doing push-ups at a gym in St. Louis, fans are – like, people can't get enough. And what's interesting is the, the viewing habits have changed so much because our lives have changed so much with all this tech. So, for example, we're doing this show here by way of my MacBook. I got my iPhone here. The TV's on the other room. And typically, I'd be kind of like toggling between all three. And that's not unique to me. You know, for a lot of the different viewers, they do that. Some of them, you know, people are socially distancing, but people are working from home. They're consuming this game in so many different ways. So if we can continue to, to serve our fans in different ways that allow them to consume the game by way of the game presentation and, and everything that goes with that, all the better for us. And we'll get continue to get more new generation fans. Fellas, this has been a blast uh, getting you guys on and us having a chance to talk some fun hockey. has been a treat for me because guess what? We're going to push the play button tomorrow. Nice. National Hockey League is back in action. It's going to be an incredible run. Kevin Weeks, National Hockey League Network, thank you so much, my friend. My Alex pleasure, Clark, man. Thank you. One-on-one ESPN. And certainly Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. Folks, uh, these guys do a phenomenal job. I encourage you to check them out in their various mediums. For all those guys, we want to thank Amarin, Illinois, the home loan expert, Ryan Kelly, and certainly Munganass, Alton, Munganass Toyota in Alton, Illinois, for being part of what we do. I'm Mike Claiborne for our crew. We thank you for watching. We'll be back with more good stuff right here on ClavesOnline.com.